Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to the podcast, or welcome to the podcast for the very first time. If this is a new thing for you, um, great to have you along the journey. We begin, speaking of journeys, we have started this season of Lent in the church, a time of preparation, a time of what's sometimes called repentance, where we reflect on things that take us away from God and try our best to turn toward God. And so because of this season, we are also starting a new sermon series here at our church called Where the Wild Things Are. And so today, I'm going to focus on two passages. The first comes from the book of Matthew. This is chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And then I'm going to jump back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 3 through 7. So let's start first with the Matthew passage. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. And now we go to the Isaiah passage. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. May God's blessing be on the reading of this word. So as I mentioned earlier, we are in this season of Lent and what often happens in churches, not just Catholic, but in lots of churches, or people who attend those churches talk about something that they are going to give up for Lent. This Lenten season, I kind of like to think of it as we do this for uh, the three P's or three P's that can fit into this season and that as uh, preparation and penance and personhood, especially this past Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is kind of the kickoff of Lent. So we talk about penance. The dictionary of theological terms says that penance is an action of showing sorrow and remorse for sin. So this season of Lent is a time of confession and forgiveness. Uh, we also are doing preparation as we look ahead to Easter Sunday, and so we are preparing ourselves for that. And also, especially on Ash Wednesday, we're reflecting on personhood. What does it mean to be human? We use ashes to remind ourselves that we were made from dust. To dust we shall return, as the book of Genesis tells us. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be human? And so this is what Lent is all about. And part of that penance and preparation can be a time where we give up something. Maybe it's a, a habit we're not thrilled with, or maybe it's as something that's a kind of a cherry on top of our lives. And so we give that up for a time to feel certain things, to fast from that. And hopefully that draws us closer to a spiritual practice or draws us closer to God. Uh, I've done various things in the past. I've given up TV for Lent. One year I gave up sports, so I didn't read anything or watch anything that was sports related. I tried giving up, uh, gave up listening to podcasts one Lenten season. I saw on Facebook uh, this week, one of our parishioners is giving up sweets, and then immediately in the office the next day, someone brought cinnamon rolls, so already he was tested. One of the things that I'm trying to give up, not totally, but at least really scaling back is, and that's the news of all things. 
was reading a really helpful column a few weeks ago by a man named Peter Marty, who is the publisher of a magazine called The Christian Century. And he talks about what he thinks sometimes is our culture's addiction to news. And he ended up by saying that sometimes our brains tell us this. Our brains say you can't afford to miss any news lest you fall behind. But he said that his faith tells him you can afford to miss all kinds of news, Peter, especially if you want your life back. He was talking about how in the morning, rather than going to scripture or prayer, immediately he'll go to his phone to see a news feed, to see what's happening, what's going on. And I think this can increase our anxiety. So I'm really scaling back on reading news during this Lenten season. So maybe you've thought about that too, maybe giving something up or taking on a new practice too. And I think one of the reasons perhaps we do these things too, in addition to the three Ps that I mentioned, is because Jesus did it. Jesus went without. Jesus intentionally went into the wilderness, as we see in our passage today from Matthew. Some translations say that Jesus went into the desert. Jesus went to go without. He fasted. So what does it mean to go into the wilderness, a place of uncertainty, but also a place of renewal? How do we know that that will happen? That if we do without, if we go into a wilderness, how do we know that we will be renewed? This is kind of what we wanted to explore during this season of Lent. We're calling it where the wild things are. When we go into those places of wilderness for us, and those places may be a, a place that's going to challenge us, but also it can be a real time of renewal. What is your wilderness? There are some, perhaps if you like to hike or camp, a literal wilderness where you are going without some of the niceties, the things that we are that make us comfortable in life in order to renew our souls. And when you live in the city, perhaps it's tougher to do that, but we can also think about other kinds of wilderness that we go into. So we'll be looking at the story of the temptation of Christ throughout this Lent. We'll read it one or two verses every single uh, Sunday, along with other passages that fit with that. And one of the reasons is that I really love the story of the temptation. I've written about it numerous times. I've had a, an article or two published about it, too. And whenever I reflect on this story, I'm always sometimes interested in the slight nuances. This, this story is in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Each of them take it a little bit differently. Mark is the shortest, and Matthew and Luke have some differences between the two of them. But one of the things that uh, have in common, especially in Matthew and Luke, is this, and that's what happens before Jesus goes into the wilderness. So again, the text tells us that Jesus goes into the wilderness, that the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, but right before this, in chapter 3, something happens. And I want to read to you a couple of verses so we get a little bit of context leading into today's passage. It says this, And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. I always am struck by this, this I mean, mountaintop experience. Can you imagine how you might have felt in going through that experience? I'm sure these days most of us would have posted this to some social media account, this amazing thing where you have come up and the heavens are split open and a voice comes and says, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. Would we not want to 
tell the world about this? Would we not want to have some kind of parade? Would we not want to just sit and reflect and soak in this amazing thing that has happened to us? And as we can tell from the text, Jesus does not post this to any of his social media accounts. In fact, in Mark, it says this, And the Spirit immediately, immediately drove him into the wilderness. Jesus gets no parade. Jesus gets no time to have dinner and just soak in what has just happened. He immediately goes into the wilderness where he is going to go without. And we wonder to ourselves, how can this happen? A few weeks ago, I was reading a story about there's this thing called the uh, World um, Marathon Challenge. And what they do is they, individuals run, get this, they run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Literally, they start in this little place in Antarctica and they hop up to South America, and that starts them. Set, they fly to all these different places, the World Marathon Challenge. And it just boggles the imagination. And I remember I told, I can't remember if it was my son or my daughter, I told about this. Can you believe this World Marathon Challenge? And the, they would look at whoever said it to me just looked at me, and they just said, why? And that's a good question. Why would anyone do this? Why does anyone take on a challenge like this? And there are probably lots of different responses to that because it's there, because they want to push themselves. But maybe we can, that's the first response that we get when we read this story about Jesus after having this amazing baptismal experience. And then he immediately goes into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And that gut question maybe that we have is why? After you have just had this amazing experience, wouldn't you want to celebrate with a big party? Why go into the wilderness, A, and then B, why go in the wilderness to be tempted, B, and then C, why go for 40 days and 40 nights with no food? Jesus, why would you do this? And I think there are lots of responses, perhaps, and it goes back to those three Ps that I talked about. Maybe this was preparation for his ministry. Again, remember, this happens at the very beginning of his life, of his adult life. Jesus, we know the the birth stories pretty well. This baptism story comes quickly. And then the temptation. So this comes before he does any teaching, any healing, anything like that. He has to be fully focused on God before he does this ministry. And so... This is a time of preparation for him. It's a time of real prayer. It's a time of fasting so that in this fasting, he is reminded that we do not live by bread alone. But I wonder sometimes if we romanticize this story. When I did a quick Google search of images of Jesus and the temptation, there were lots of ones that made a a healthy, hale-looking Jesus and Uh, The devil is at his feet and Jesus looks just fine, but this is coming after he has fasted. And the text points out to this. And this was the word that struck me as I was really reflecting on this passage from Matthew. Again, it said Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. He fasted. And I don't know if you caught this. And it said, and afterwards, Jesus was famished. 
He was hungry. Who wouldn't be? But we kind of gloss over this, I think, when we think about Jesus, that Jesus didn't feel things. But in the church, we believe he was fully human and fully divine. He felt things. Jesus was flesh. He was real. He's not just some figment of our imagination that lives in history books. He lived. He was challenged. He struggled. He felt things. He was famished. And this is the thing that really strikes me about this. Jesus did not avoid feeling things. We see this throughout his life, that he felt joy. He was thrilled by things. He felt sadness. He felt anger. We did a sermon series a few months ago about emotions, and Jesus did and felt all of these things. And this is the thing I really want us to reflect on when we talk about going into the wilderness. When we intentionally do so, we hopefully go into it thinking, I am going to feel something. And that may be something that we lack or that we don't have. And that's an important thing to feel because sometimes in our society, we are told to just gloss over any of those feelings of sadness or anger or going without. We're told constantly by images and by sales pitches to say that tell us to fill those things. Fill those things up by going online or shopping or buying something or going and, and viewing pornography or abusing substances or any kinds of things. Like just numb yourselves to those things where we might actually feel lack in our lives. I've just finished reading a book, a classic book in the Christian life by Henry Nouwen called The Wounded Healer. And in the last chapter, he talks about what does it mean to feel loneliness? Nouwen lifts up loneliness as one of the things that we really feel on our society. This was a book that was written in the late 1970s, but I think it's still very true for us today. And he does an interesting thing in talking about this. Loneliness is understandably something that we want to not feel because we want to have companionship. We want to have friendship. Absolutely. But I think now and says sometimes we should at least pay attention to that feeling of emptiness, of loneliness, of lack to see where it leads us. Here's a quote from his book. It says, the Christian way of life does not take away our loneliness. Instead, it protects and cherishes it as a precious gift. Sometimes it seems as if we do everything possible to avoid the painful confrontation with our basic human loneliness and allow ourselves to be trapped by false gods, promising immediate satisfaction and quick relief. The awareness of loneliness might be a gift. We must protect and guard Because our loneliness reveals to us an inner emptiness that can be destructive when misunderstood, but filled with promise for the one who can tolerate its sweet pain. I think what Nouwen is saying here is when we feel that loneliness, what can happen is then we go to somebody else or something else to fill that immediately. And then we put all of our hopes and fears and dreams on another human or on another um non-human thing. And that can be dangerous because we make other humans or things our saviors. They cannot fill that for us. And they will not fully be able 
to overcome and fulfill that basic loneliness. I think what Nowen is saying, and I think what Jesus, why Jesus went into the wilderness is saying, only God can do that. Only God can truly fulfill loneliness. Now, I am not saying, please don't hear me saying that in order for us to really feel emptiness or lack or going without, that we should not wallow in that. I'm not saying that we should always go around feeling lonely or feeling empty. Not at all. I'm not saying that we should just be masochists about this. And I'm certainly not saying for those who feel depression, uh, for those who feel long-standing sadness, I'm not saying that this is a good thing and that you should just see this as a gift from God. At Urban Village, we encourage people to see uh, mental health professionals to help us with these issues that we have in our lives. What I'm speaking here is to allow ourselves to actually feel things and not jump so quickly so that we um, overlook this emptiness that we feel that we don't actually feel disappointment, that we don't go to things quickly to numb these feelings. And I think one of the reasons Jesus goes to the wilderness is to remind himself, I am totally, utterly dependent on God. It's one of the reasons people ask, why do you fast? Why do you give something up for Lent? When we fast, when we feel that ping or pang of something, if you go without sweets, for example, and you feel that craving, one of the things that can remind us of this basic passage that we read and later on in the temptation stories, we do not live by bread alone. Ultimately, for those who have faith, we are ultimately, ultimately dependent on God. And going without, feeling these pangs of emptiness remind us of that. And that can be a way for us to connect with God. It can also be something that helps us to relate to others who may also be feeling these things. If we numb ourselves to these feelings of emptiness or loneliness or feeling lack, if we don't feel those at all, it's harder for us to feel empathy for somebody else. And so what does it mean then if we decide to enter into those feelings and we enter into a wilderness where we will be going without This is going to be when we enter into that wilderness, it will be a place of challenge and rejuvenation. Both of those things. And that's a really interesting place to be. And again, it goes back to this question of why do we do this? Why do we willingly go into these places? Hopefully it helps us and deepens a relationship that we have with God. As I was thinking this week about individuals who enter those spaces where they will be pushed and pulled and challenged and feeling without and also rejuvenated at the same time. I thought a lot about musicians and people who practice over and over and over again. And I have dabbled in instruments here and there, but I've never really fully committed myself to playing anything. And I can imagine there's this place of just frustration that you just can't get it. And you keep thinking, why do you put yourself into into this position? And yet there's also rejuvenation when they nail that chord or they get that song or whatever it is. And I thought this week about a man named Nathaniel Ayers. That name may not um, ring true for you or is particularly familiar, but you may have seen there was a movie based on his life several years ago called The Soloist starring uh, Jamie Foxx. 
The Soloist was based on a book called The Soloist, which was based on a friendship, a relationship with a reporter for the Los Angeles Times named Steve Lopez and Nathaniel Ayers. Nathaniel Ayers grew up in Cleveland and started taking an interest in music. And he started to be interested in the double bass. That was his initial instrument. And he started going to a music school, the Cleveland Music School Settlement, which was a community school. And his first teacher in an interview I read this week said that that first year, Nathaniel just kind of fooled around with it. But later, he, his teacher said he got this fever. And he said, I want to be a bass player like you. And became practicing diligently over and over again. And then he said he, his colleagues saw he has a gift. And so then later, he got a scholarship to study at Juilliard in New York. While he was at Juilliard, Nathaniel started showing symptoms of schizophrenia. And no one was able to fully help him. And so he dropped out of Juilliard and then he bounced around and went back to Cleveland. He spent some time in Colorado and then he went out to Los Angeles and he started experiencing homelessness. And that's where Steve Lopez first came across him. He was walking near Pershing Square, which is a public park in downtown Los Angeles. And Steve saw Nathaniel playing And he saw him and he thought, this guy's really good. And he just kept on walking. And then that thought of Nathaniel just wouldn't leave him. And so he went back to this space at Pershing Square, but he wasn't, he couldn't find him. And then three weeks later, he finally found him again back at Pershing Square in the same spot. And in his book, The Soloist, Steve says that, I'm quoting now from the book. And he said, "I, I watch him from across the street for a while before approaching And his playing is a little scratchy and tentative, but just like before, it's clear this is no beginner. There had been some serious training in there somewhere along the way. He doesn't appear to be playing for money, which seems strange for a homeless guy. He plays as if he's a student, oblivious to everyone around him, and this is a practice session. Strange place to practice. The ground shakes when buses roar by and his strings are barely audible in the orchestra of horns, trucks, and sirens. I gaze at the tops of buildings adorned with gargoyles and grand cornices. Men and women move about, duty-bound, ignoring him for the most part as they disappear around corners and into entryways. The man plays on, a lone fiddler. He throws his head back, closes his eyes, drifts. A portrait of tortured bliss. I notice for the first time that his violin, caked with grime and a white, chalky substance that looks like a fungus, is missing an important component or two. Your violin has only two strings, I say. You're missing the other two. Yes, he says. He's well aware. All I want to do is play music, and the crisis I'm having is right here. This one's gone, he says of the missing top string. That one's gone. And this little guy is almost out of commission. His goal in life, Nathaniel tells me, is to figure out how to replace the strings. But he got used to playing imperfect instruments while taking music classes in Cleveland's public schools. And there's a lot you can do, he assures me, with just two strings. Many people have been inspired by Nathaniel Ayers' story. And some people focus on Steve Lopez and his developing this friendship. Some focus on um, the schizophrenia that Nathaniel has These are all fine things to focus on. But the thing that struck me as I was reading this week again, this story, was Nathaniel's passion for music. 
And the wilderness that Nathaniel goes to in order to get better at what he does. And in the book, Nathaniel phrases this so well. He sees Nathaniel practicing and practicing as a musician does. And he says that he is a portrait of tortured bliss. And that, I think, is a really wonderful way to describe the wilderness. Tortured bliss. That we go to a different place altogether and we feel stretched and we feel without and we don't quickly try just to cover things up, but instead we feel this. But then we get to a place where another kind of level for a musician, there's that level where you are one with the instrument. For those of us in faith, when we go and intentionally go into a wilderness where we are going without, where we are feeling a certain lack in our lives, and rather than just covering up immediately, we just sit with it and say, I feel lonely, I feel empty. And we take this to God and we say, what can you help me with this? And we realize how dependent we are on God. And not that God takes away all of these things, just that we're just us and God. And certainly there is community that can help us and professionals who can help us with this and other things that can help us with this. But we are reminded, as Jesus was, I am fully dependent on God. That's what the wilderness can do for us. Where is and what can be your own wilderness during this Lenten season. Take time to reflect on this and then intentionally go into that space where we are feeling famished as Jesus did. And then we bring this to God and we hope and pray that this might be a way for us to deepen that relationship. May it be so during this season of renewal and reflection. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, you can reach out to me, Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org or on Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn. I'm always happy to respond to you and anything that's on your mind. I will be back next week as we continue this sermon series. And until then, may the peace of Christ be with you.